It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. For those of you that remember the conversation I had with Jerry Howard uh, last week from the NAHB, when you dig into the nuts and bolts, literally sometimes into the nuts and bolts, of the housing industry in this country, uh, the economic factor that it is, not just from building the home, the residence, uh, in whatever form, rental, for purchase, or otherwise, but its overall effect on the economy, the supplies needed, the supplies and the origin of those supplies, transportation, energy costs, the salaries paid out at every level from a jobber to the major builders and everywhere in between the entire scope of economic factors in the housing industry it's understandable uh, when you do that why it's more than just interest rates but interest rates do play a huge role in this interest rates regarding debt and equity financing banks and lenders builders and right down to the home buyer first time home buyer or otherwise we also have a problem with a housing shortage in this country What does the future look like? And there are so many factors to this that we could literally have a three-hour show and conversation on that. We won't do that now, but it may be necessary at some point. Back with us, Dr. Robert Dietz, Chief Economist and Senior Vice President for Economics and Housing Policy at the NAHB, the National Association of Home Builders, Economy, Inflation, Education, the Housing Market, Robert, where do you want to start? <laughs> it's uh, it's good to uh, join you. Uh, yeah, I mean, housing really affects just about every element of the economy. Uh, I would add probably, you know, home ownership is uh, the primary way that a typical middle class family accumulates wealth. So, you know, I, I think you you know, frame the challenge correctly. Uh, you know, we've got a structural deficit of housing. The reasons for that are complex. Some of them are market-based challenges. Some of them are policy failures. Uh, And then, of course, in the short run with the rise in interest rates and the ongoing fight against inflation, interest rates are going up. So the the, the supply of attainable housing that people can actually buy, particularly first-time buyers and first-generation buyers, is shrinking at a time where we need to be adding additional structural supplies to house households uh, and populations. So we've got a lot of challenges in the housing market right now. And I think it's going to be a growing political issue as we begin to look down the road to 2024. Well, let's, I mean, as I said, we would probably have to have a three-hour discussion just to get really into this. And that's not to make light of it, but uh, first what do Americans need to know to understand the current situation, maybe the, the umbrella of this with uh, the interest rates, uh, housing situation now? And I don't know if it's easy and you're an economist and economists tend to do it by the numbers, but to project what this looks like going into next year. Yeah, I, I think the, the the place to start is the size of the housing deficit. There's there's a lot of estimates out there. It's uh, you know there are numbers as high as five million or more as a shortfall of single family homes. 
we think probably the number's a little closer to a million, but that's a really significant deficit of housing in this country. And and the challenge has been that since coming out of the Great Recession more than a decade ago, we have underbuilt particularly single-family homes in this country. Uh, the reasons for that are complex, and while much of the policy discussion in Washington, D.C. is focused on the demand side and typical affordable housing-type issues, the real challenges lie on the supply side of the market. In fact, for the last four or five, it, it feels like six, seven years, uh, we've been warning about those challenges, and we've, we've sort of called them the, the five L's, that the, the residential construction industry has lacked labor, we've lacked land and the lots necessary to, to build homes on, we've had issues with lumber and the building material supply chain that became particularly challenging, of course, in the, uh, the post-COVID uh, housing uh, mini-boom that we had. Uh, there's issues with lending and getting access to small builders uh, and remodelers, getting them financed. And most of that occurs through the uh, community bank system. And then that fifth L is uh, the, the big one. It affects every industry, of course, but laws and regulatory burdens that uh, we estimate uh, the cost of a typical single-family home, about a quarter of its final purchase price, is made up in inefficient regulatory rules. So all that put together means that we have underbuilt housing going into the pre-COVID period. Home prices shot way up because of that deficit. And now, ironically enough, we're, we're paying for that because if you look at the inflation data, like CPI, uh, CPI is elevated, but more than 40% of CPI comes from shelter inflation. So some of the run-up inflation is due to the fact that we don't have enough housing. And then, of course, the, the policy impact is that on monetary policy, interest rates have moved higher to fight that inflation, despite the fact that the Federal Reserve can do very little with higher interest rates to address the underlying supply shortage. So, you know, it, it becomes a, a vicious circle where the, the, the causes then lead to some of the policies that are slowing the housing market down and what we really need policymakers to do is focus on that supply side, find ways to, to get more land in the system, get more workers uh, who are available to build homes, uh, and really address some of those regulatory burdens to reduce the cost of, of housing, building housing, and that will allow some of those first-time buyers then to attain the American dream of home ownership. Boy, there's so much on the table. <laughs> I, you and I need to talk offline about those five L's and go go into it in more detail because I want to keep learning from you. But you know, all, all, no joking included. But you know, all joking aside for the moment, when I look at some of the examples of shortages around the country, and I wonder how much labor and education play into this education in the sense of uh, a growing workforce that is capable to work in an industry that needs professionals at all levels, whether it be carpenters, electricians, architects, uh, you know, so many land surveyors, you know, look at the various levels of professionals and education to have the right workforce. 
Uh, but also, you know, we're seeing these shortfalls in some of these cities and areas in America. For example, according to USA, USA Today story, Los Angeles, one of the most underproduced housing markets, shortfall of nearly 400,000 homes. Uh, that is a significant number. The LA Metro has the LA Metro rather has 247,400 new jobs and 11,206 single-family permits. New York City, Newark, and Jersey City, another hub uh, of activity, 497,000 new jobs, 13,229 new single-family permits. Uh, San Francisco, Oakland, Hayward, an area, Boston, Cambridge, Nashua, Springfield, Rockford, Illinois. You begin to see these clusters with shortages. So how does that get fixed? And is it all about going out to suburban and exurban, which adds travel and cost for the average American who has to work a lot of times in the city? Well, I, I think economists in particular, we tend to be short-run pessimists, but long-run optimists. So it, it, it gets fixed, but it doesn't get fixed quickly. <laughs> so, you know, you, you listed some of those areas where there are shortfalls. I, I think the striking statistic to me is the fact that if you look uh, through September of this year, Houston and Dallas have built about 76,000 single-family homes. The entire state of California has only built about 50,000 homes. So those two metro areas alone outpacing uh, the state of California. That, that leads to shortfalls, particularly in high-cost, highly regulated markets, which then contributes to some of the shelter inflation that we've seen. So. You know, if we think about solutions, it is about uh, recruiting, training, and retaining workers in the middle skills industry, trying to get more workers into not just construction, but manufacturing, transportation, the energy sector. Uh, these are places where small businesses, of course, arise, and we need to, to be focusing on that. It, it's about fighting inefficient regulatory rules like green space requirements that make it difficult to, to build housing. And while there is going to be a lot of suburban housing built, because that is what the the market demands and that's what the industry builds to, it doesn't have to be all suburban housing. Uh, We are seeing exurban areas, uh, for example, growing faster. Some of that is uh, the impacts of work from home uh, filtering through the market. But with efficient zoning laws, you would see additional teardown construction, more medium density type construction where, for example, you're adding townhouses in a place where a shopping mall used to be and is is no longer needed. That requires not just zoning approval, it requires efficient local government operations. And that's the challenge, of course, for builders is that they're, they're reliant on these local governments to make the correct decisions, not just right now, but of course, looking down the road, two, three, five, even 10 years when it comes to making land development decisions. Uh, As I said at the beginning, I do think this is going to become a political issue. Um, We are expecting additional weakness in the housing market in 2023. I think one of the key numbers we'll be watching as a report card on how the housing market is doing is the homeownership rate. And unfortunately, we are forecasting declines in that rate. I think it's going to be particularly harmful for younger households, We're going to see a growing number of young adults who are living at home. Uh, 20 years ago, by the way, that that was one in 10 young 25 to 34-year-olds who lived with their parents. Today, it's more than one in five, and I think it's going to grow. 
And so those factors are then going to become policy issues in which I think not just young people, but also uh, the rest of the American population begins to demand answers and policy solutions when it comes to adding additional housing and reducing that housing deficit. My guest, Dr. Robert Dietz, a chief economist and senior vice president for economics and housing policy at the NAHB. Uh, you know, politicians don't build homes, but policy does affect that. Uh, let's talk about mortgage rates for a moment. The 30-year fixed mortgage rate, 7.29%, right? That's according to Mortgage News Daily. Highest 30-year rate in 20 years. Uh, when I look across the, the spectrum, 30-year fixed, 15-year fixed, 30-year FHA, jumbo at 30-year uh, arms. A lot of people went into arms, adjustable rate mortgages in COVID, uh, you know, even 30-year VA loans. These rates are north of six, close to seven, a 30-year fixed, 7.37. I mean, these are rates that people haven't seen in a while. What effect will that have for the... Again, back to that person, whether a first-time or a second-time buyer. Yeah, it, it's really had a very strong negative effect, particularly on the entry-level first-time buyer market. Uh, we, we began to see hints of this back in the spring of 2022, and by the time June and July rolled around, there were a growing number of markets where you were seeing real strong drops in demand. Uh, now, this is, of course, attainable demand because those – from a structural uh, point of view, those households are still there. They still need to be housed. They still want to attain home ownership. They're still looking to, to get into that apartment, for example. Uh, but uh, they have been priced out of the market. Um, I, I think a lot of forecasters, including myself, were really kind of caught by surprise by the degree to which we saw mortgage interest rates move up so quickly in 2022. And this was after not seeing much of a, a, a gain in in 2021. And, you know, I, I think if we're looking down the road, 2023 is going to be ongoing weakness. Uh, you're, there are some pockets of strength. Uh, one example is uh, the single family rental market, which is, uh, of course, a reflection of the fact that uh, a growing number of households can't afford to buy, but they, they still want a single family structure. So they're going to rent uh, that residence. And then if we, we look out beyond the forecast, I think there's, there's generally an expectation that by the time we get to 2024, we'll either be in a moderate recession or the Fed has won its fight against inflation. In either of those cases, the Fed will be forced to ease monetary policy by the time we get to 2024. And so we are looking at 24 as a year of, of stability. And ultimately, by the time we get to 2025, you're going to see growth in single-family construction again because of those housing deficit numbers that you walked us through earlier. Back to that, uh, what was it, short-term, long-term? I forget exactly how you, how you put that. But, uh, well, but to, you know, to, to the average person, we're all average people in America for the most part. And, you know, listening right now i mean in one sense for some listening this is doom and gloom because your circumstance in your housing is probably your most immediate concern combined with your job and your family uh, and fairly there are people listening now that say wow it's over i what do i do 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think in the short run, particularly in the coming quarters, uh, there is an expectation we're going to see a growing number of markets that are experiencing price declines. That is just a, a natural consequence of mortgage interest rates being up above 7%. Um, I think we do have to be careful here. Uh, we need to distinguish the current cyclical downturn, which has been brought about by monetary policy, which is temporary, right? It's part of that uh, fight against the now retired claim of transitory inflation, but the, the fight against inflation that is very much in the marketplace. And it is very different than the experience that we had back in 2008 and 2009 with the Great Recession. Back then, you had a glut of housing on the market. There was simply too much of it. Uh, there was a, a, period, a long period of building. There was a period of loose mortgage underwriting. And then that resulted in a sustained period of home price declines, not just simply a reset based on the current level of elevated rates, but a, a real painful period, particularly markets. You think about the, the sand states of Florida and others that saw really big uh, price declines. And then that also accompanied a surge in foreclosures. We're unlikely to see anything like that this time. This is a, a cyclical downturn brought about by higher interest rates that will eventually ease once the Federal Reserve finishes its task when it comes to monetary policy. But as I said earlier, the Fed's tools are fairly limited and crude. They can tighten monetary policy and affect the demand side of the market, pricing buyers out of the marketplace and, of course, reducing construction. But what we really need is traditional policy that we know that works, supply-side type economics, and find ways to ad add additional affordable supply. Workforce housing, affordable rental and multifamily housing, townhouse construction, and single-family homes in the suburbs so that people can attain home ownership. And the best way to do that in a period where rates have been pushed higher by the central bank is finding ways to reduce the cost of construction. And that can be done by more efficient policy on the supply side, uh, reducing the cost of land and reducing uh, overall construction costs. My guest, Dr. Robert Dietz, and you and I will be talking quite a bit more. Uh, I think so many people, you know, I hear the concerns. Uh, we see the articles out there, but we really need to take this into that short-term and long-term view, a realistic view. And uh, from my perspective, the more people are well-informed about whether it's the positives, the negatives, the unknowns, it it'll do a lot more to take us beyond the headlines and the shouting. Yeah, I, I, I think that is the challenge. It, it, housing is sort of kind of an unusual uh, you know, beast in terms of the, the political space, because I think there's a good understanding of where many of the solutions lie. And they're, they're not in Washington, D.C. They're at the local level. Uh, the solutions that work, things like building with a little bit more density, speeding up uh, construction approval times, uh, allowing smaller lots to be used so that entry-level construction can be built for first-time buyers. Those are generally agreed upon by the business community, by academics, by policymakers. The problem is that at that local level, it, it's slow to change. Uh, there are often interest groups that have outside voice. Um, you know, one of the, the things in the real estate community that uh, 
uh, builders talk about is the challenge that comes from nimbyism, not in my backyard uh, type thinking where people oppose development, often because they are not informed or they're not thinking about those younger households or they're not thinking about the fact that you need to add housing to have a growing tax base and have a community expand in terms of its economy. So, you know, if we were thinking about the future of home ownership, we really need to uh, educate and, and, and work with the people who have NIMBY-style concerns. Uh, we need to work with the, the growing YIMBY movement, which is the yes in my backyard, people who are uh, supportive of adding additional housing. And then, as we like to say, we're just going to have to fight the, the bananas, which are the build absolutely nothing anywhere near anything. Uh, people who are opposed to any kind of construction, which is frankly simply unfair for, for younger households. And, you know, if you've got a market where you're not going to build, they're going to have to move somewhere else. And that's been kind of the, the narrative that we've seen around California as businesses and households move to markets like Texas because they cannot afford to live in these markets where there's no home construction taking place. Nuts and bolts. The facts matter. Uh, Robert, I always appreciate your input. Uh, I hope the audience, uh, many of whom may be in the positions we've described and you've outlined today, I hope they get something and walk away with it and learn a little bit more. That's my goal. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Robert Dietz, Chief Economist and Senior Vice President of Economics and Housing Policy for the National Association of Home Builders. Join me live on The David Webb Show, Monday to Friday, 9 to noon East, on Sirius XM Patriot 125.